This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey Mets fans, welcome to episode 201 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast for your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I am Brian Salvatore. Thank you, as always, for joining us on this week's show. We have a good show. No interview again this week. We've been trying really hard to get some interviews on the show, but the end of the summer, the wildcard chase, back to school, etc., makes it hard to get folks in the podcast. But we're trying, and hopefully next week we'll have an interview for you. But that doesn't mean it's a short show. We have lots of wonderful stuff coming up, including a conversation between myself and Chris McShane where we talk about this suddenly very hot team with suddenly very hot Curtis Granderson and Wilmer Flores and 
the bizarre nature of our pitching staff right now. And so without any further ado, take it away, past version of Brian and Chris. Well, Chris, this is a uh, this is quite a different situation than the last few months of podcasting. The Mets have won five straight. They have taken their last five series. They are tied with the Cardinals for the wild card, the second wild card spot. And generally, things are looking pretty good in Metsville. How are you feeling? I mean, to be, to be fair, you've been the optimist all along. You you believed when no one else would. How are you feeling right now about everything? Um, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, you know, it's we've definitely reached the territory of like, well, this. I I kind of can't believe it. Uh, you know, as much as I've been positive about things all along, you know, the injuries just keep piling up. And things have just gone better and better. You know, it's what's satisfying is that we've been waiting since early July for a run like this. And now, you know, now they've finally gone on one. So. So, yeah, I mean, and and we're at a point where there's not that much regular season left. Right. That you can kind of just buy right into all right this is hey robert gazelman and seth lugo (laughs) might be above average starting pitchers you know and and part of me wonders obviously we haven't seen enough of them to know what they're going to be in the long term but part of me wonders if some other organizations you know you um you go back sometime over the summer the braves gm did a q a on twitter and you know, some Braves fan made a joke about the Mets, and he said, oh, you mean the organization that, you know, has five ace-caliber pitchers and just went to the World Series? We try to emulate them. Um, I wonder if there are other organizations that look at Gazelman and Lugo, even in just a few starts each, you know. What is it, five or six starts total between the two of them? Yeah, something like that. So it's, it's not that much, but I wonder if they look at them and go, like, damn it. You know, they, they they lose those guys and they bring up other guys and they're just fine. Like what? Like what are we doing wrong? Why? You know. I mean, to be fair, this is not what anybody had drawn up. No, 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 not <laughs> I mean, at all. This, this is about as far from the plan as possible. Right. Oh yeah, the plan. And I think this is something that came up. Um, in my optimism, I think at some point in June or July. Uh, you know, the division was not looking great, but they were still in a wild card spot at the time. And that was sort of my thing. It was that unlike last year, the wild card is going to be there to fall back on. Not as guarantee, but as another way into the playoffs. So, you know, here we are. But one of the things that I liked about that possible scenario was that you might be able to choose between, you know, any number of pitchers to pitch that game. And, you know, now they might not have that luxury, whether it's because of health or the urgency of winning games in the final week of the season to get to that point. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're good problems to have. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, today's game was a really uh, – we're recording this Wednesday evening. was a really interesting look at the team because you had Flores with the big home run – and Flores has been hot lately, especially as left-handers. And um, as the internal Amazing Avenue discussion was going, 
earlier this week. You know, he's like a pure baby face in, in pro wrestling terms, right? He's like the he's the guy everybody's rooting for, and it's so great to see him doing well. But you also have Curtis Granderson starting to heat up, and Granderson's been so cold this year. And Granderson also seems like a really good guy, so I love rooting for him. And so to see the two of them doing well is a really satisfying thing right now. And I feel like it do, it obviously does not make up for the injuries. Don't get me wrong. I don't want <laughs> – I'm not rooting for injuries. But I think because of the other guys being out of the spotlight, it's nice to be able to shine a light a little bit on those two guys because they both seem like such genuine dudes. And while I am certainly not somebody who constructs a team around chemistry or anything like that – it's nice to have guys you like to root for once in a while. Right. And well, that's, that, that's been a really fun thing the last week or so. I think one of my favorite things of the season so far, and, and I've gotten out to a lot of games this year, which has been good, but uh, I got to be at the games where Cespedes started walking up to the Lion King music and the game where Flores walked up to the theme song from Friends. And I am no... I'm not a Friends hater so to speak but i would never like go and watch it on my own right but i love that wilmer flores watched every episode multiple times like that's yep it's perfect it's amazing it's so wilmer flores yep (laughs) you know like the the you know you, you have the aspect of it where it's the you know the the guy who is trying to learn how to speak english or improve how you know how well he speaks and all that watches the show that you know that that makes sense uh but of all the shows out there you know it, it makes me wonder like if you were that guy coming in right and you watch all the episodes of friends how much effect does that have on you know your your approach to the language your sense of humor with it like what if he had only watched curb your enthusiasm <laughs> You know, what if what if Larry David was like his, you know, that that was his idol that he like, oh, yeah. And he's he's young enough. I'm feeling pretty, 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 pretty good right now. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I love that. And uh, you, you're right. The two of them are very easy guys to root for. Um, you know, a lot of the guys are, you know, chemistry as it comes up is so often associated with whether or not a team is doing well. But, uh, but yeah, those, those two, I'd much rather, I mean, coming into the year, Granderson being a starting player was totally part of the plan. Right. Um, I would rather Wilmer Flores hit some dramatic home runs once or twice a week, you know, pinch hitting, whatever, filling in for a healthier David Wright, you know, if, if the infield still had Neil Walker, Lucas Duda, David Wright, and uh, Estrubal Cabrera at 100%, Flores has probably got half the plate appearances that he has right now. Right. And that would be preferable, but given the circumstances, yeah, I'm with you on that. Now, speaking of guys that maybe aren't so easy to root for, um, Jose Reyes is having a hell of a season with the Mets. He is, you know. I was as skeptical as anybody on the baseball side of things. Um, you know, even if it's strictly a baseball conversation, mm-hmm. you know, coming off of last year, he had done so poorly. 
playing in two really good parks for hitters. You know, he because of his suspension, he didn't play in like professional games for <laughs> what two or three months. Mm-hmm. So I think I was as skeptical as anyone about what he could do as a player, and uh, he has far exceeded those expectations. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not quite the player he was, but nobody expected that. But I mean, he's he's holding his own there. He's he's I mean, he's really good this year. <laughs> you know, I know it was a small sample size and all that. I know that you know he's he has made some some less than great plays at third and he's you know still not walking much and that sort of thing, but you know, it seems like every day you put the game on and Reyes has scored a run or two. And uh I just did not expect that. I went if, if if listeners recall when the Mets signed him, I said this is going to be a moot point. He's going to be released in two weeks. I was I was firmly convinced he wasn't going to stick with the team, and so this is this has been very unusual for me. But I think that uh, you know this is a very complicated matter for myself and other Mets fans because you know we all have the great memories of Reyes and. You know, he. I used to think he was a very easy guy to root for, and the situation obviously. You know, I don't. I'm not saying the guy could never be redeemed. I'm not saying he. You know, I think everybody deserves a second chance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it, it was such a, it was such a tricky situation to, to, to for a team to find itself in, especially with a formerly beloved player. And I think that it's gone about as well as anybody could have hoped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, between what he's done on the field and the fact that, you know, nothing else has occurred off the field, you know, that, that's that been news that, that's come out in any way, uh, you know, that's sort of the, like, in the back of your mind. And I thought uh, the piece that was up on the site about it last week was actually kind of a good summary of how I felt Absolutely, yeah. With, with it, where it's, you know, you still, like those first few games felt really awkward in terms of cheering for him, and now it's at a point where, all right, I'm at a game, he did something good, I'm, you know, I, I clap for that. I can't see myself chanting his name. Like, it, I don't know. I don't know that that necessarily is a distinction, and it, I certainly don't expect it to make a difference uh, in the grand scheme of things, it's just sort of where I am personally with with you know cheering him for what he's done. I'm in a very similar place. So, and I thought that that kind of hit on all that and summed it up well. But we, you know, in that regard, I think anyone who, and certainly can't speak for everyone, but I think there are other people in the same boat as us who, you know, the you just sort of settle into the fact that he's here and you know, it's I like, I, I hate to feel this way, but if he were terrible, you know, if he were as bad or worse than last year, you know, do, do we end up feeling differently? I think as a player, obviously I was, I was definitely ready to, kind of pounce if things didn't go well. Right. Um, but, you know, Jose Reyes, the person, 
even if he whatever he had done between then and now, if he was still on the team, I think some of that effect would have worn off, and it would just be, you know, okay, here's this guy, and he's a part of this team, you know. Yeah. Um. People that have not been a part of the team recently, though, are Jacob. See my my, my segue there. Yes. Uh, Jacob Jacob Degrom, Stephen Matz, Lucas Duda. All three of whom are theoretically coming back this season, or at least have the potential to come back this season. Um, Duda probably has the longest shot of the three at coming back, but that's that's certainly not uh, it's not outside their own possibility. You know, he just started doing baseball related activities a couple days ago, so there is still very much a real chance that he could be back before the end of the year. And Matz and Degrom have no official. Uh, timetable for coming back, but one can presume they will more than likely at least the plan is for them to be back within the next few weeks at some point. Uh, How confident are you, Chris, in those three coming back? Who do you think is most likely to least likely coming back? And what can we expect from those guys when they do come back? Are we going to be getting anything close to what we got earlier this season or in past seasons from these players? So I will, in terms of likelihood, I'll I'll rank them DeGrom, Duda, Matz. Really? Okay. And that's completely uh, with the disclaimer that we are not doctors. We are not (laughs) privy to the information. But as we are trying to make educated guesses... um, why do you think that Duda is more likely than Matt's? I guess the fact that he's doing some things, you know, I mean, I think the only detail that we had so far was soft toss, but for a back injury, you know, we're coming up, coming back from a back injury as a power hitter, you know, soft toss is only a step in the process, but it is swinging a bat. You know, like that, right. that to me seems like the motion um, that would be affected the most by what he's been dealing with. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's tough to come back after a long layoff, I think in, in any position, but if that part of his game is something that he can, you know, take some steps forward in the next week, and be looking at something like live batting practice, um, you know, simulated game type scenarios, whatever, something like that. I, I could see that working out and him coming back maybe in like the last week of the season. Now, I mean, I won't be shocked if he, if he doesn't. But I guess the reason why I, I, that scenario seems a little more likely than uh, us seeing Mats again to me is just that Duda is on sort of the end where, you know, he's resolving the injury that kept him out for a long time and then trying to make enough progress to come back. Whereas with Mats, and I, I have not at all been on, like, team shutdown Mats, so to speak. <laughs> but, you know, we know he has the significant bone spur. Um, you know, we know he's tried a little bit to to pitch with uh with the shoulder impingement 
and so far it hasn't been good enough for him to you know really ramp it up and, and come back so I think there's a different sort of uncertainty there with the two of them and with Duda you know like I said it's it, you know obviously he's been cleared to do what he's done so far it's light but there at least seems to be a path I mean I hope all three of them come back um, but but yeah I I, I don't know I Varying degrees of uncertainty. Yeah, I I would rank. I don't know. Degrom is definitely the most likely to be back. Um, I can see your point about Duda. I guess for me, it's just that Duda has been. Duda has been on the shelf for so long, that I feel like it will take a longer time for him to get. Back and, and this is this this is not based in science at all. It just seems to me like Matt's Matt's is probably in better physical condition to come back and play. Even if he has impediments there, he's more in baseball shape. Whereas I know I know Dude has been working out, but it's just so different from being in game shape. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but I, I I still you might be right. You might be right here. I uh. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how these players how it all shakes out in the next couple of days. Um, yeah. Um, is there a... Alright, so we, we've seen a number of starts now from Montero and Lugo and Gazelman. If you had to round out the Mets playoff pitching roster without DeGrom, without Mats, who would your three or four starters be? Uh, so I'd, you know, obviously one, two, Syndergaard and Bartolo. Mm-hmm. And then I'd say Gazelman three, Lugo four. Okay. I probably agree with that. I don't know. It's Lugo's done a very great job, so that's not really putting him down. It's just something about Gazelman clicks a little bit more for me, you know, watching him. Uh, now, you know, over the next two or three weeks, if the Mets continue to be in a spot where they can think about things like a playoff rotation, maybe Lugo outperforms him. And, you know, the stuff might not look better than Gazelman's, but the results are there, then I could certainly be swayed. But, but yeah, as currently constituted, I'd have no problem with Bartolo Colon in, in a game two scenario which is very different from you know what we might have expected <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely is there a um is there any situation where you would let rafael montero make a playoff start uh they, there might be i mean it's just right now the overall results have been okay considering the astronomical walk rate um but, you know, obviously he'd have to get that down. Uh, and if he does, I think the overall numbers end up looking better because, uh, of course, they would. So I think there's some time for him to, you know, maybe establish that. We don't know right now whether or not he's going to get another turn in the rotation. If I had a guess, I would say he probably will. Um, 
so yeah, I, I wouldn't completely rule it out, but just because in, a, in even in a seven game series playoff scenario, you're not really going to a fifth starter, right? You know, at this moment, he would not he would not be in consideration for uh, you know the fourth slot in that rotation. I agree with that, but the fact that that's even a question, you know, that this the the all of these strange circumstances that kind of came together. You know, just him having a shot to hang on as a major league starting pitcher right now. A year ago, I don't think that seems like a possible outcome at all. Oh, absolutely not. No. So you know, the fact people that thought it, he was going to be, be he people was going to be cut from the from the forty man roster this off season. Yeah, yeah. So you know, the fact that he's here and at least in the conversation to continue starting for a team that's contending, I think is a long way from where he was at that time. And even if he doesn't get to that point, if he's just okay, you know, you can head into the off season, uh, regardless of what happens in the regular season and, and possibly in the playoffs. And, you know, he's a guy who all of a sudden looks like a serious major league pitcher. Uh, and that, that would be a win. <laughs> Absolutely. So is there anything else you want to say about the team right now? Uh, I, uh, I love Joanna Cespedes. I tweeted it, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it here too at some point. And this, it might have been a couple of weeks ago, but I, if the Mets are listening, uh, I will buy one unique, new, authentic Cespedes jersey for each year he is with the team from 2017 <laughs> forward, if it helps. I mean, that works for me. Yeah. I'll, um... <laughs> I'm trying to think of a less financially committed thing to say. <laughs> I'll, I'll buy a new compression sleeve every year. There you go. An official... An official compression sleeve. None of this, uh... None of these free giveaway stuff. Yeah. Although I, I do have to say... Uh, that That's kind of a nice way to go out here. I was at a game and friend of a friend who was a Phillies fan and it was during the series that the Mets uh you know took took two or three from him it was one of the nights that the Mets were winning and I was not wearing a sleeve that night I have on occasion worn one to the park with the Cespedes jersey uh but you know there were some other Mets fans who were and they were wearing the one that had been the giveaway and this Phillies fan wasn't loud or obnoxious about it or whatever but it was just like Ugh, what's the point? Like, if you're not playing, you're not the athlete. It's not like you're not performing. Blah blah blah. And I'm and in my head, I'm like, well, I, I guess not every team has a Cespedes, and not everybody can understand. <laughs> that is a good way to. Uh, that's a good way to end our conversation. And thank goodness we have a Cespedes. Hey Mets fans, Steve Schreiber here, and it's time for your This Week in SNY Minute here on Amazing Avenue Audio. During the Met game on August 23rd, uh, Gary Keith and Ron got into a little uh, discussion on hair care products thanks to uh, the Mets uh, rotation gaining a third member with B. 
beautiful flowing hair. Uh, Robert Gesellman uh, joining Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard. So here's a little clip of that discussion. So now with Gesellman joining that staff with Syndergaard and deGrom. Yeah. I mean, do they need to hire a, a, a hair care specialist? Uh, absolutely. I mean, come on. It's very important with that hair that long that you mix in some good conditioner. You can't go cheap on the conditioner. How do you know that? You never had hair that long, did you? No. no. Never. He had big hair, though. My hair would be Back like the uh, longer I grow it, the more I look like a Chia Pet. What? A chia pet. It just grows straight out. It doesn't grow long. Right. Much happens to me. Yeah. It's just it's unmanageable. They're just jealous. I loved having long hair. <laughs> I know you did. It's been a long time. Though. You got the picture in your wallet still when you had the long hair? I do. <laughs> Why don't you break it out? <laughs> Three to the Garcia's fouled off. I think that, Gary, the fans would have loved to see it. I know you'd love for them to see it. Of course. Tommy Pham is on deck. It's back on your radical days. So, of course, this discussion uh, led into some talk about uh, Gary Cohen and his his past. Uh, as, as we all know, Gary is a, uh, he's, he's a little uh, bereft of hair, and uh, that's, that's putting it mildly. Uh, so he brought up his college days that he has a picture in his wallet that he carries around of him with long hair. So a couple innings later, uh, the broadcast came back from a commercial and we have this beautiful picture of Gary in his Columbia days sporting long hair. And uh, that'll be in the next edition of this week in SNY uh, coming out either uh, later this week or early next week. So make sure you look for that. If you haven't seen it already, if you have, um, it's a great picture. So that's all we have uh, with through This Week in SNY Minute. I'm Steve Schreiber. Now back to Amazing Avenue Audio. Hello, this is Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio. And today... Let's talk about the chances of the Mets to make the playoffs. Their playoff odds have been increasing as of late because not only have the Mets been winning baseball games in the second half of the season, wins like the 5-3 to result they just pulled off against Cincinnati on Tuesday and the 5 nothing win they had on Monday against the same team, but their rivals... The St. Louis Cardinals, who are just one game ahead of the Mets in the wild card race, and the San Francisco Giants, who are one and a half games ahead of the Mets in the wild card race, are struggling. The Giants more so than the Cardinals, as St. Louis has ripped off three straight victories against Pittsburgh. But the point is that while the Mets have suddenly discovered how to hit the ball again, thanks to the emergence of his dribble Cabrera, Curtis Granderson is starting to come around as well, and Ioannis Cespedes appears to be healthy again. That's helped to make up for the absence of Neil Walker, along with Kelly Johnson, who's also been a really nice piece since they reacquired him from Atlanta earlier in the season. The point is that while the Mets 
may have played worse baseball earlier on in the season. Part of the reason they lost so many games beforehand was that they were playing against stiffer competition than St. Louis and San Francisco. The payoff is that coming up, the Mets have one of the easiest schedules remaining in the major leagues, while St. Louis has one of the toughest. And for San Francisco, it might not matter because that team cannot get out of its own way as of late. So for the Mets, after they finish their series with Cincinnati on Wednesday afternoon, they have three games in Atlanta, three in Washington, which is obviously going to be tough, although you have to feel confident seeing how the Mets just took two out of three from the Nationals this past weekend. So after that, it's three at home against Minnesota, three at home against Atlanta, four at home against Philly, then they go to Miami, who will hopefully be eliminated by them for three, and three more at Citizens Bank Park, City Field South, to end the season. That is a pretty friendly stretch. You get seven games against Philly, you get the three against Atlanta, sorry, six against Atlanta. So that's 13 games against Atlanta and Philly combined. If the Mets don't take care of business there, then they deserve to miss the playoffs because the teams they are seeing down the stretch are not playoff teams. So hopefully the Mets take care of that. ESPN recently projected that it will take 86 wins to get the Mets into the playoffs. And that means they have to go 13-10, and 10, starting with this road game at Cincinnati on Wednesday afternoon. The rest of the way to get to 86, and with 13 games combined against Philly and Atlanta, that's one way to get there. Of course, there's also Minnesota and three games in Miami if they do not win all their games against Philly and Atlanta. But if they don't win 13 games, it can always count on St. Louis to lose. Like we said before, the Redbirds have won three straight against the Fading Pirates. They also host a four-game series against Milwaukee coming up, but after that, it, it gets really difficult. They host the Cubs for three. They go at San Francisco for four games, which means one of those teams is going to lose in every one of those games. A great opportunity for the Mets. Then they go at Colorado, which is always tough. Then at Cubs. But then they're home against Cincinnati and home against Pittsburgh. So St. Louis could be good in those last seven games. But remember, they have to face the Cubs in two different series. They have to go to Coors Field, which is tough. They have to go to San Francisco, where they'll be facing off against an equally desperate Giants team. So down the stretch, it is all coming up Mets, at least as far as the schedule goes. If the Mets take care of business against their lesser foes, you have to think that St. Louis and San Francisco are going to trip up enough to give the Mets an advantage in this wild card race, putting them in the postseason for the second year in a row. I know it sounds crazy, but the Mets actually have the upper hand in this race, even though they're a game back from St. Louis, a game and a half back from San Francisco. All they got to do is keep doing what they've been doing lately, and hopefully no more injuries come their way. They keep smacking the ball out of the park, and they get some more magic from Seth Lugo, and we can see a second straight Mets postseason run for the first time since 1999 and 2000, and wouldn't that be something? Hello, Mets fans. 
This is Lucas Flahos bringing you the latest installment of the Daily Stat. Uh, this week we're going to touch on a topic that I believe I've brought up twice before. Uh, some of you may recall at the start of the season, when we were all still very optimistic about this Mets season, particularly our rotation. I brought up the idea that this team had the chance, uh, albeit a small chance, because breaking a record is never easy, of topping the 2011 Phillies for the most productive season ever by FR. Um, so that was the year the Phillies had Roy Halladay, Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels, Roy Oswald, randomly good Vince, Vance Worley, um, randomly good Joe Blanton. So that was a very dominant rotation. They, uh, they posted 26 FR and 1,064.2 innings pitched, or roughly 40 innings pitched per war. Um, so yeah, most productive rotation of all time right there. Uh, later this season, uh, maybe, it was the first weekly stat I did, so maybe a month or two ago, uh, I touched on this again to see if the Mets were on pace to top this record or come close to it, and they were pacing almost exactly on it. If if anything, they were very slightly ahead. Uh, this is maybe 300 innings ago or 200 innings ago, but they were about a tenth of a war ahead of pace at the time. And that was despite Matt Harvey's struggling and Noah Syndergaard and Stephen Match pitching through bone spurs. So it seemed possible um, if Matt Harvey righted himself, they might actually pull this off. Of course, everything has kind of gone downhill since then. Matt Harvey had thoracic outlet syndrome and is done for the season. Zach Wheeler uh, had strained his flexor tendon and is done for the season. Stephen Matz now has uh, shoulder impingement and might be done for the season. Jacob DeCrom has forearm inflammation, which is always scary and could very well, with the Mets' luck, be done for the season. So now they're relying on Seth Lugo, Robert Gesellman, and Rafael Montero to fill uh, 60% of the rotation. And all of those pitchers have performed adequately. None of them are aces. None of them have ace potential like the pitchers the Mets have lost. Um, so right now, after being ahead maybe 200 innings ago or so, the Mets are at 16.5 F4 and 804 innings, that's in 138 games, so if we extrapolate the same uh, innings per game total, as well as the same FR per inning rate, uh, the Mets would wind up with 19.4 FR in 943.2 innings, um, which equates to roughly one more every 50 innings. So the Mets went from having potentially the best rotation of all time, to one that won't even crack the 20 war barrier. And that's not to say it's a bad rotation now. It's still basically the best rotation in baseball. They're ahead of the Nationals by 0.7 more in terms of, in terms of wins. Um, their ERA is basically the same as the Nationals, a tick higher because their defense is terrible. But their FIP is lower, their XFIP is lower. They have a better K minus base, uh, K minus walk ratio. They have a better home run ratio. Um, so this team, Still has the best rotation in baseball, and they're not even close to these Phillies because they're not extraordinary anymore. Um, so it's a real shame, obviously. Uh, I don't think any of us will mind if Seth Lugo and Robert Gesellman carry us to the playoffs or to the World Series or what have you. But 
The misfortune in the Met rotation with injuries this year has cost them a lot. It's cost them a chance at history. It's cost them a big chunk of their playoff odds. And it'll probably cost them if they get to the playoffs. There's a big difference between starting uh, Matt Harvey, Noah Syndergaard, and Jacob deGrom instead of starting Noah Syndergaard, Bartolo Colon, and Robert Gazelman. Um, so yeah, injuries suck, and the Mets are cursed. Even the stats show it. And that is your weekly stat. Hey everyone, it's Greg Karam here, along with Steve Saipa, back to talk some prospects with you. And now that the minor league season has wrapped up, I think it finished up on Monday... Labor Day, we are recording on a Tuesday, so the season is all wrapped up, and we want to wrap up the season by talking some prospects with you. We're going to talk about each affiliate and just kind of kick off our season review of the Mets minor league season, uh, and specifically talk about some prospects who disappointed or surprised us, or any just guys that we're excited about. So we're going to start with the, the Vegas 51s. And Steve, who was a surprise for you on this team? Uh, for me, one guy is Brandon Nemo. Um, it's not so much him hitting for second um, in the batting race in Las Vegas, but more so the fact that he hit so well against lefties. Uh, in 120 at-bats, he hit 358. Uh, 425, 567 against them, which you could ignore the high numbers, but compare that to his uh, batting line against righties, which is 349, 422, 529. You know, is a guy that historically has had problems against lefties. And for at least 120 at-bats this season, he negated that. So, Yeah, but- I, I, that's my guy too. I was going to go with him. Um Obviously, he had a great season, and like what you, like what you said is that he he did start hitting lefties, and from what I watched, he seemed to have a much more aggressive approach against them this year, and he was swinging early in the count, and um, he looked a little bit more comfortable, and <clears throat> for a guy like that, if he can actually change his profile to the point where he's not just the platoon bat, and he can fake a little center fielder, um, then maybe maybe it's not necessarily a fourth outfielder. But, you know, a second division starter type or somebody who can play a little bit more regularly in spots. Like, do you think that the the season that he's had has changed the profile for him from fourth uh, outfielder, which is kind of the consensus coming into the season? Absolutely. I mean, uh, like I said at our prospect podcast in January, what it was, I I buy into those Kevin Long changes to his swing and... Little little, <laughs> little Daniel Murphy magic there, too. Maybe uh, who knows? But um, so next year, would you be comfortable rolling out a platoon of say Juan Lagares and Brandon Nimmo in center field? I mean, I prefer Cespedes in center <laughs> field, I guess. But if we're just looking at you know Nimmo, yeah, I would be comfortable with that. Interesting. Okay. I'm not as sold as you are, but I do. He does tick up a little bit for me. He had a good season. So, who was your disappointment in Vegas? Uh, just the 
the fact that they did so poorly. I mean, this is a team that had a few of the Mets' top, top prospects on it, and they ended the season, you know, a bunch of games under 500. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt there. I think that some of that was uh, probably starting pitching related. And speaking of starting pitching, um, you know, Rafael <laughs> Montero had a pretty poor season there this year, and, and you know, technically not a prospect anymore, but was really hoping to see a little bit more from him out of there, you know, to hopefully give them some, some starter depth. Uh, I think he, he starts tonight. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, one, he had one start that was for the major league club. That was uh, okay. But, um, you know, he was demoted to double A during the season. So that was quite disappointing. Um, another disappointment for me there was actually Gavin Cicchini, even though he was just brought up, I was actually hoping that he could kind of consolidate his profile a little bit with, uh, with the glove, maybe, show that he could stick there maybe hit for a little bit of power he did neither of those things this year um so that was a little disappointing for me what did you think about uh what do you think about uh, gavin Cicchini now that he's been called up i mean i'm not really too sure that second base is gonna cover a lot of those problems from what we've gathered from what we've heard whatever a lot of it is just pace of play issues and rushing plays double clutching things whatever It'll be a little bit, you know, some of that will be negated at second base, but I mean, it's still a lot's going on, you know, in the, up the middle. Yep, I, I agree with all that. And, you know, he's going to hit for some average, but it's going to be pretty empty. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what he can do. You know, uh, it's definitely exciting when these guys get called up, but I, I hope he gets some playing time just to see what he can do. Um, but let's let's move on to double A. And um, why don't you give, well, let's start with a disappointment for Binghamton. Uh, for me, I think it's Jeff McNeil's injury. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there weren't that many disappointments there this year, I feel, relative to expectations. I mean, you know, Jeff McNeil, he's always been a solid producer, kind of in the lower levels. Double A is usually a test for any prospect. So, you know, it would have been a test to see how legit his kind of utility profile was. Um, we got reports that he added some muscle, and that really would have boosted his stock since he was always kind of a light-hitting, you know, middle infielder, corner interfielder. And then that abdominal injury just limited him to three games. So it's it's a missed season. Yeah, yeah. And it was exciting. Yeah, he only had 14 at-bats this year. So uh, it was exciting for, you know, half a second there. <laughs> but, you know, interestingly enough, um, a guy who kind of broke out there this year and kind of had the season that we were hoping – Jeff McNeil would have is Phil Evans, yeah, who he, he came out of nowhere. Came out of nowhere, you know. Former, I think, former overslot um, draft pick of the Mets. Um, they gave him a little bit more money. I think closer to first round money when they drafted him. And we know that he has fans within the organization. And it wasn't. It just I wasn't excited about him. And he had he started the season in St. Lucie. I think he was injured to start the season. Went to St. Lucie, didn't hit. Then he got bumped up to Double A, and then just ripped the cover off the ball. I mean, he's a low, low walk, uh, low strikeout though, and he just put up some really good numbers this year. And it's exciting because he can play. I mean, he can, I, I guess he can fake a little short. He can play second, and he can play third. So that's an exciting guy for me. I mean, the past two seasons, you know, he hit underneath two fifty, and he hit four home runs combined. This year he hit you know over three thirty and he has eight eight home runs. I mean that's 
that's a big improvement. Big improvement. And, you know, actually, he's, um, he's Rule 5 eligible this offseason. You, would you add him? I'm not too sure because it is just one season. You know, freak occurrences do happen. I'm adding him. I, I'm, I think that somebody would take a flyer on him and see what he's got and, or maybe stash him on a bench for, you know, a year. I, I would add him this offseason because, you know why? Because you're probably going to use him this season at some point, this upcoming season anyway, you know? So might as well not take the chance. Um, and he is only 23, so he's still young and, you know, well, that could be legit. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And he's got the pedigree, you know? It's it's Jeff, Jeff uh, our friend Jeff, had some friends in Binghamton this weekend and they say it's, it's you know, Got a kind of like a super utility uh, ceiling there, and and he's shortened up his stroke. That's what they were telling him. So you know, could be good, could be good, could be exciting. Anyone else there as uh, a good surprise for you? Oh, I mean, it's Rosario having such a good season. You know, it's it's very good. Yeah, um, Smith adding the power also good. Yeah, yep, yep. Those are those are all good things. Um, I think Rosario is just. He's a monster. It's really exciting what he's been doing. But, you know, it's he was expected to. You know, he's, he's um, one of the top prospects coming into the season. So uh, let's move on to St. Lucie. And I think we're both going to have the same surprise here. So why don't you go ahead? Tomas Nido. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Breakout season for him this year. Uh, catcher, uh, I think draft from the maybe the 2013 draft. I think yes, 2012. 2012. So eighth he, round. Yeah, scuffled a bit early in the early goings, but um, the first couple of years of his career, but really has put it just really put it together this year. He hit 320, 357, 459, and only struck out 11 percent of the time. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's tough to know when you're talking about St. Lucie because we don't have. MILB TV. We don't have a lot of people on the ground there. Not a lot of people see them. So it, not too many reports. I do think that uh, somebody at Baseball Prospectus was, did get a look at him and gave him a good scouting report on them. At least uh, I heard that through Jeff. So uh, what do you think about Nido? Are you excited about him? Yeah, I mean, I hope it's legit. Um, you know, I'm, I'm assuming that he'll be promoted next season at Binghamton. We'll get more eyes on him there. Um, but, I mean, it all looks sustainable. I mean, maybe he won't be hitting, you know, 320. But, I mean, the strikeouts are low. Um, he walked a decent clip. You know, the power the power's always kind of, you know, the, the tool's always been there. It just really has manifested this season. I mean, I think the breakouts could be could be real. Yeah. Well, we'll no more next year, but it's a, it's, you know, I, like to, I don't like to talk too much about guys I haven't really seen at all. But um, it's just... With St. Lucie, there really wasn't much going yeah. on there, and uh, this is really the only exciting guy that's going that was happening there. Um, as far as a disappointment, I'm probably gonna go with Chris Flexen just because I had higher expectations for him mm-hmm. coming into the season. I thought he could probably, I thought he would could end up end the season in Binghamton, but just really didn't put it together and kind of scuffled along there. What do you think? Yeah, the whole pitching staff is the pitching staff down there as a whole is a disappointment. I mean, Flexen was really the only guy with any expectations attached to him at the beginning of the year, but just as a whole, they were just very 
underwhelming. Yeah, yeah. And, and there were rumors that he was a part of the package to be traded to the Reds, I think, originally for Jay Bruce, and that it may have been nixed on his medical. So there's there's other additional question marks there. But we'll see. Um, and then, so, all right, so moving on again uh, to Columbia. Another, I, I really just, I did not enjoy the Columbia <laughs> season. There was just nothing that exciting when checking the box scores. What what do you think about them? Um, I mean, there's a couple of bright spots here and there. Who surprised you? Anybody? Um, for me, I'm going to... Um, Andrew Church, I think, you yeah. know, he he pitched the majority of his innings in Columbia, so I'm gonna say that he's a guy with Columbia. You know, 56 innings, he had 10 walks, 52 strikeouts, you know, uh, 2.22 ERA, and this is a guy that, you know, I don't want to say that I wrote him off necessarily, but he kind of had a risky profile when we drafted him a couple of years ago. He didn't really produce very much, so I didn't really have high expectations. Um, and he's he's pitched his way back onto my prospect list. Not, yeah. not really close to the top, but he's in the conversation. He's, at least. he's in the conversation for the top 25 for sure. And um, I, I followed him a little bit this year. Uh, I've seen reports of him anywhere from 86 miles an hour to 95 miles an hour with the fastball <laughs> this year. Uh, the, the 95 was in the first start. The 86 was in the last start uh, after he flew across Vegas. And I don't know how, when he did that start in Vegas, he flew to Vegas, got there late, and then hopped on the mound. So I'm going to cut him some slack for that. But the the gun there had 86 to 87. But regardless of that, um, if he can hold that velocity up there in the 90s, he has a very good slider. Mm -hmm. And you couple that, he has a changeup and needs some work. But... It's actually, yeah, he's put himself back on the map as a, somebody to be excited about. So, and as far as Columbia goes, that was really the only thing to get excited about. Um, although I will give a shout out to Patrick Mazika, who put up as a catcher, put up some pretty good strikeout and walk numbers. Not for it didn't hit for power, but he got on base a lot. Mm-hmm. Just want to throw him out there because I kind of like him. Although I don't really like the swing that much. He's, he's really just a contact hitter. Uh, a disappointment for me is that Ivan Wilson retired, our four four tool stud. I know <laughs> every tool but the hit. Um, he hung it up after finally making it to full season ball, which was, you know, inevitable, Struggle. inevitable, but still disappointing. Anybody uh, else disappoint you besides the entire roster? Um, besides the entire roster, uh, Udo Garcia specifically, um, you know, he was limited to just a couple, no, 50 games, uh, because of his steroid suspension over the winter. He, he hit for a decent, you know, he hit for a decent average and on base, you know, what would you expect? But, uh, the five home runs is a little, a little light. Yeah. A little light. And then tied with, you know, the fact that he was suspended for steroids, it makes you wonder. Um, how legit his actual power is if he was possibly doing something and now that he's, you know, presumably not doing it anymore. Yeah. I'm with you. So moving down one more to Brooklyn, which I got to say was a pretty exciting affiliate affiliate this year as compared to most other years. They had some Mm -hmm. really exciting prospects who actually did live up to expectations. So there weren't that many disappointments. I guess if you could point to a disappointment, 
I would have thought that Gabriel Giannis would have thrown a little bit better there, but um, just given his, uh, I think he was an overslot guy, so I just was a little bit more excited for that. Um, who, disapp- who disappointed you down there? Um, not so much a single person. It's just the team as a whole. You know, they finished with a sub 500 record again, second year in a row after you know not having done that for 15 seasons. And the Mets drafted a lot of college players, so you would have assumed, you know, and and assigned them to Brooklyn. So you would have assumed that the team would have been, uh, would have done a lot better than they actually did. You know, seven of the first ten draft picks that the Mets drafted, they sent to Brooklyn. And you yeah, know. that was actually gonna, that was gonna be my backup. There was that pretty much all the college guys that they sent there stunk. Yeah, and I mean, except for Pete, Al- Pete Alonzo, um, who I know you're not you're not a big fan of. Oh uh, no, I mean. I have nothing against him. He seems, you know, okay. He's he's a you know a college NCAA power hitter. So who knows how legit that power is, you know, going forward. But yeah, he was playing against competition that was probably on the level or worse than what he was seeing in college. So don't really know what to make of him. But he's he's exciting. He's he's intriguing. And uh, so who's uh, who surprised you this year? Um. Let's let's say let's say this. Who surprised you other than Zapucky? Right. I mean, you could really make a case for the entire pitching staff, more you know, more or less that you know, Mirandi had a good well, I don't know. I mean you could say that all those players uh, you know, expected to do good there. I guess I'll go with Harold and just pitching as good as he did, you know, pitching his way into the Cyclones record books, one of the best seasons in their history. Yep. He had a good. He had a great year. Um, you saw him last night. He looked a little gassed. Uh, yeah. I mean, really, there was no reason for him to piggyback Dunn. I guess they wanted to see, you know, give him a shot. He needed, I think, it was eleven strikeouts going into the night to. Uh, oh, jeez. To beat uh, Brad Holt Brad for Holt. the uh, single season strikeout record, ninety six. Uh, he obviously did not accomplish that. Uh, he's ending the season third behind Holt and Marcos Molina. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know, if they wanted to give him a legit shot at that, they should have had him start, maybe, give him, you know. Yeah, it was very very strange to piggyback him there, uh, especially in the last game of the season. I don't really know what that was all about. But for a surprise for me is I'm going to go with Desmond Lindsay, who he was hurt to begin the year, comes back, send him to Brooklyn and he's 19 years old and he did pretty good. He did pretty well. He hit 297, 418, 450. There's some decent power there and some on base skills. I think that when he's healthy, he's going to be a very athletic guy out there in center field. Uh, when I saw him, he seemed a little compromised. I don't know if you you saw him a little bit more recently. How, how'd he look? Yeah. Uh, last night, same thing. He's, you know, after, he looks fine, maybe his first at bat, maybe the first couple of innings, but then you could see like running down the first baseline. Yeah, uh, he'll start limping. Yeah, it's a uh, weird gait. It's just yeah. it's just I don't know what's going on there. He doesn't seem fully healthy, but I'm very like if he could get fully healthy, uh it's it's an exciting profile. The problem is that this, these injuries have followed him around his entire career cuz that's kind of the reason why he they he fell to the Mets in yeah. the draft. Anyway, um, 
So that's that's you know that's a rundown of uh, the major affiliates. Uh, anybody else that uh, surprised you in the system in GCL, Kingsport, anything like that? Um, down in Kingsport, I guess just the 2015 pitchers that we had. Um, just for the most part, they just really dominated. You know, Humphrey, Simon, Humphrey. Sixto mm-hmm. Torres, Zapucky when he was down there, Wotel when he was down there. They all had you know. Uh, over a strike at an inning, so you know that's just good to see. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. Um, and uh, you know we have other things to look forward to, like Andres Jimenez, who's tearing up the DC DSL. But uh, we don't, we know not to trust that. But in this case, the the stats are backed up by some some solid reports. So there's some exciting mm-hmm. things going on in the Mets system, and. I think we've covered it all, but we'll continue to cover it in future weeks. And that's all the time we have for today. So we'll see you next week. Before we get into Kate's Panic City meter, she wanted me to tell you that she is aware the Mets have won 14 straight against the Reds and that uh, she knows she was mistaken in this piece. So anyway, take it away, Kate. I said a few weeks ago that for the rest of the season, I was going to be saying, oh my goodness, the Mets are so close. They're hanging in there. They're almost there. And I was still going to be saying that on October, whatever, the season ends fifth. And technically I still am, but we've gone from, oh my God, the Mets are so close to, oh my God, the Mets are actually going to do this. It's Wednesday afternoon. They just beat Pittsburgh for the I'm not sorry, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, for the 13th straight game, which is just, that doesn't happen. Like, that's not how statistics works. It's insane. They've won five straight. They're a half game out of the wild card. St. Louis and San Francisco still play tonight, so this will all be moot by the time you guys actually listen to this. But as I'm recording, they're so close. And... Cards and the Giants just haven't been looking good. Cards have played better, but they're playing the Pirates, who look god-awful all of a sudden. And the Giants look okay. They both pulled off improbable wins last night. And the Mets are scraping by on a rotation of Lugo, Gazelman, and Montero, which is bound to fail. And Montero didn't look good last night. But you know what? You only give up three runs, and you've got a 30-man bullpen, so you can work with that. And I don't know. We're actually here. Like, we're going to do this again. I don't even know if we're fighting for this. They're fighting for the second wildcard spot at this point. Like, the first wildcard spot is pretty much up for grabs. And that's ridiculous, and I don't know that they're going to win that, but... We're here, and they're playing well, and Granderson is hitting all of a sudden, like, really well. And that's really fun. And Flores, who can't buy playing time, can't stop hitting either. Conforto's never going to see a major league field again, but, you know, it's Terry. But they're here, and they're playing well, and they're winning, and I really think that I'm still going to be doing this through October. And I know I said I believed that for the last several months, but I actually do this time.
Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I want to apologize. We got an email this week, but Chris and I had to record at kind of an odd time, and we totally forgot about it. So we will get to your question next week, unless it was super topical, in which case, I'm sorry, I'll buy you a beer on October 1st at our live show. Details next week. Um, you can, of course, go to AmazingAvenue.com and get all of the Mets news information commentary you could ever want. There's a great piece that Chris and I referenced about sort of dealing with Jose Reyes' fandom at this point in the season that I highly, highly recommend, as well as many other pieces on the site. I, uh, I've i been having an email, an, an argument's a strong word, an email conversation with my father about James Loney. He's a big fan. My dad was born in 1943, so you can kind of understand how that happens. But I've been using some Amazing Avenue pieces as ammunition against them to show that Loney is not that good. Um, so you can do that as well. Feel free to use any article from the site to win an argument with your dad or whatever you need to use it for. Uh, we would appreciate it if you rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. You can download the show directly from blogtalkradio.com. And you can follow all of the contributors that you heard on today's show on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Steve Schreiber is at underscore Mr. Met. Steve Saipa is at Steve Saipa. Greg Karam is at Greg Karam. Aaron York is at APY5000. Lucas Vlahos is at LVlahos343. And Kate Feldman is at Kate E. Feldman. So hopefully the next time we talk to each other, through this wonderful medium known as podcasting. The Mets are firmly in first place for the wild card. Things are going well, and we can uh, we can bask in that joy some more. So, until next time, let's go Mets! Mets!